Good morning, everyone. Please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we'll be talking from there in just a second. There's one thing that I learned from Brother Mark Roberts while he was here is that it's always a good idea to start out the morning's lessons with copious amounts of coffee. So hopefully you all, all are ready to go. I'm ready to go and loaded up here to be in God's word today. 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is an exciting story that sometimes we go to to learn lessons about well, various topics, really. And I think we're all familiar, mostly familiar with this chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 12. This comes with King David on the heels of his sin with Bathsheba in chapter 11. And he has this moment of clarity, a moment of realization that he has here as Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him a story. And we know what the story was. There was two guys, one of them a rich man, one of them a poor man, and the poor man had this ewe lamb that he loved so much, nurtured and cared for this lamb. And the rich man decided one day that he needed to throw a feast. And so he went and he took that man's prized possession, almost a member of his family, took him, killed the lamb, and ate the lamb. And David has a re reaction to this story. David's, David says that, he, it says in verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. You know what he just said, though, right? He just pronounced his own sentence. He just said that he deserved to die because the story was about him. Nathan's story was about him. But he didn't get it. He didn't see that clearly. He had not heard the deeper message yet. And so then we hear these powerful and prophetic words from Nathan in verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is a moment now where David is faced at a crossroads and he has to decide what he's going to do within, with this information. How is David going to react? And what we see here from 2 Samuel chapter 12 is that when the prophet comes to the king and tells the king about his sexual sin, David makes the right choice. David has the correct reaction in that he turns from his actions and says, I have sinned against God. He knows that he's done something wrong. He heard the prophetic message from Nathan and he turns. He opens his eyes and he repents. And good on David. By the way, this is not the first time that a prophet has come to a king all throughout the Old Testament. You're going to find plenty of examples of prophets, the Lord's mouthpieces, coming to the king and telling the king, you are sinning against God. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this kind of confrontation happening. But this is one of the shining examples of a positive reaction. Let's look instead at a negative reaction, because this isn't the way it always happens. This isn't the way that it always turns out. What typically tends to happen is actually what we see in Mark chapter 6. So if you flip forward to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6, we see a different reaction that happens here with a prophet and a king. Again, when a prophet comes to a king, and calls out the king on his sin. 
we see this reaction, a negative reaction. What happens here? This is the story of John the Baptist coming to King Herod. King Herod, he is remembering, as he's starting to hear more about Jesus, he's remembering this moment that he had with John the Baptist. He's remembering how John the Baptist came to King Herod and said, it is unlawful for you to have this woman as your wife, because guess who that woman was? It was his brother's wife. And under the old law, of course, that was forbidden. And so John the Baptist, the prophet of God, yes, as Jesus would even call him in Matthew chapter 11, more than a prophet. John the Baptist was God's mouthpiece, coming to King Herod and saying, you are the man. <laughs> He's giving him the smackdown, really. He's poking him in the eye and saying, you are living in sin. Well, what happens? He throws John the Baptist in prison. That's a different reaction than we saw in 2 Samuel 12, right? Herod doesn't want to hear anything about this, so he throws him in prison. And then later on we find out that Herodias has this reaction, his wife has this reaction, and basically tells, sends word down the chain. It's this convoluted, complicated story about what happens, but she demands his head on a plate. And to satisfy his wife, to satisfy an agreement that he made, the king beheads John in prison. What a sad story. What a sad difference of, of a prophet coming to a king and it ending badly. So I look at these two contrasts, and I think these are two extremes. These are the two options that we have when we hear information. When we hear information, and I'm calling this lesson this morning nonprofit, <laughs> because we, I know, we like to think of ourselves as a nonprofit organization here. We're not here to, to, uh, to collect funds more than, more than what we need. But are we nonprofit? Are we unwilling to hear God's challenging message? So one of the things we see throughout the Old Testament, one of the things we, we see even in these two stories, these were not flowery, comfortable, uh, uh, easy-to-digest messages, were they? What is more complicated and more challenging than getting in someone's face and telling them the person that they love, the, the, the sexual relationship they're involved in, is a sinful one? I mean, that is... That's a challenging conversation to have. And when we look into God's word and we see things that challenge us, are we going to have a hearing heart? Are we going to have a heart like David who looks at these challenging truths that we, as we read about them in the scriptures, as we hear about them from our brothers and sisters who come to us, are we going to hear the message and are we going to receive it? Because David shows us an example of what to do, and King Herod shows us an example of what not to do. So I want to talk about that for a little bit this morning, and just look at some examples of really prophets in the Bible and what we learn from them today. The big idea in this lesson is not a complicated one, but it's that God's message is confrontational. God's message gets in our face. You need to go no further than look at something like Matthew 5 through 7. As Jesus' great sermon on the mount 
constantly steps on our toes, as it did the toes of those in the first century. God's message is confrontational. It's not flowery. It's not easy to receive. It's a burden that we carry. It challenges us to do and to act correctly in response, and that's the point. God's message is confrontational, and it challenges us with the uncomfortable task of hearing it and obeying. That's really a simple, simple message for this lesson. But again, I think we're all going to see as a result of this, this is not an easy thing to do. When you hear about something in the scripture, or someone comes to you and offers you a challenging piece of information that you need to grapple with, are you prepared to do that? Am I prepared to do that? Because as we look back in the history of the children of Israel, for example, we see that being a prophet was not an easy task. Anybody here, would you have wanted to like sign up? Would you, would you have seen the job posting for prophet of the Lord and you've been like, yep, I want to do that. I, I want to be a prophet of God. Uh, here I am. I'm ready to go. Let's go look at the book of Hebrews because the Hebrews writer, as he's obviously looking back in chapter 11 to this great, as some call it, the hall of faith, as he's looking back to all of these amazing examples of people who lived by faith and structured their lives faithfully, he points back to a series of characters here. And he says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. That's the, the key one that we're going to focus on here for just a little bit. And the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. And at this point in the, in the list, you're just like, wow, they did some amazing things, didn't they? They accomplished some amazing things for God. It must have been an awesome responsibility, an awesome job to be a prophet of the Lord back in the Old Testament. And some were tortured. Oh, wait a second. That's a, that's a little bit of a different vibe, isn't it? We've, we've sort of shifted the, the script a little bit here. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You want to be a prophet under the old law? You want to be in constant threat of your life? You're not going to be getting all the likes and the thumbs up on social media if you're a prophet of the Lord back in the Old Testament. You are going to get persecuted. You're going to have what you have taken away from you. You are going to suffer. And don't we see that? Don't we see that so often? Look no further than Mark 6 with John the Baptist. He was thrown in prison. And before he was even thrown in prison, he was out in the wilderness with nothing. Eating bugs and wearing animal skins. And people thought he was crazy. 
and he was thrown in prison, and he was eventually killed for his stand for the truth. So you ask the question, is being a prophet of the Lord an easy task? No, it's not. I sometimes wonder. You know, we, we use this phrase a lot, and I use this phrase a lot as, uh, in my sermons from time to time, stepping on people's toes. You've heard that phrase before. I, I think I just used it a little while ago. Stepping on people's toes. You ever have your, your toes stepped on? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but you ever have your toes stepped on? Let me tell you something. From the pulpit here, you've never had your toes stepped on. Can I just get real with everybody here? You think you've ever had your toes stepped on from the pulpit? You've never had your toes stepped on from this pulpit. Because if we pulled a prophet move from back in the old law, the language that the prophets used was harsh, was caustic, and got right to the heart of the problem. We're going to see that in a little bit. There's going to be language that we're going to see in a sermon, in a conversation from a prophet later on in this conversation, and, and you will notice that this is not something you've ever heard from the pulpit. Being a prophet of the Lord would probably mean that I wouldn't be invited back if I was actually up here saying some of the things that prophets actually said. Now, I was trying to think as I was driving here, like, is there anything that I could, you know, really prophet move, like, poke you all in the eye, poke us all co collectively in the eye for? I couldn't really think of anything. So that's, I guess, to our credit. But, like, if there was something here that I needed to just stand up here and actually prophet-style step on toes, how would we respond to that? How would we react to having toes stepped on like that? Matthew chapter 23, by the way, is also another important point because it's not just an Old Testament problem. It is also a time of Jesus problem, as I don't really have to explain to you very much. I think all of us know this in Matthew chapter 23. As Jesus is really having these conversations with the scribes, with the Pharisees, and he says to them, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, in verse 29. That, by the way, right there. If I stood up here and I just called you all hypocrites, like right to your face, exclamation point style, like Jesus does, that doesn't happen very often from this pulpit. I don't think I've ever heard that from this pulpit. But Jesus does that here. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our father, we would not have taken part in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves, for you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. You think about the, the thing that Jesus is saying to the, to, to the scribes and Pharisees here. You say, you talk such a good game about how if we had lived back there, we would have listened to the prophets. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. And you could talk a good game. You could say that you would listen, but no, they would not. And they were going to go on to prove it. In fact, go on later on here in verse 37, as Jesus sort of turns into this like introspective little conversation that he has at the end, a really touching and nurturing view of Jesus here. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you as children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Have you ever gone to a city, like you're, you're passing through one state to another state, 
And at, at the border of the state, you'll see a big sign on the side of the road, right? Sometimes you'll get out and you'll take a picture with it, with your family, you got your selfies going on of, of you, oh, we're going into Utah, or we're going into Nevada, or we're going into Montana, right? What if you go to one of those border crossings and you cross over, you take a picture of yourself, and behind you the sign says, Nevada, the city that stones the prophets. That's what Jesus is describing Jerusalem as. Here's how I'm going to sum you up as a city. You're the city that kills the prophets. You're the city that will not listen. So you can see Jesus' frustration here. Because he wants them to listen. He wants them to be like David. He wants them to hear uncomfortable truths and go, Yeah, I hear that. And I have not ever seen that about myself before. But I hear that and see that now. He wants them to see. He wants them to open up their ears and hear the truth. And so being a prophet was no easy task because it was very uncomfortable to, to get in people's faces like they did so often. So why do people reject God's message? What is it about the message? What is it about what is said that, that makes people, makes us maybe, want to close up our ears? thinking of some things, and maybe this would apply to you. Maybe, the, maybe some of these things will be impactful for you. But I think sometimes we overemphasize the messenger. When somebody comes to us, when they tell us some uncomfortable truth, maybe we overemphasize the person who's actually giving us that message. Do you realize that John the Baptist was not the most easy-to-digest speaker for a group of educated highfalutin Pharisees, lawyers, the guy eating bugs, right? Oh, we're going to listen to him? Jesus said of himself that even in his own hometown, he would not be honored. Everywhere else he would be honored. But a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. Jesus knew that because people knew him too well, they were too familiar with him, well then... That's a, a reason to reject the message. That's a reason to, to, to not listen to this powerful truth because they knew him too well. You ever find yourself with that? Mark Roberts was here a couple weeks ago. Did anybody find themselves acutely attuned to what Mark Roberts was saying? Hanging on every word like maybe you haven't in a long time? Was it because he was new? Was it because you've never heard him before? Was it because he's, he's a visitor here and we've, we've created this moment so this gospel preacher could come and speak to us? Or what if Mark says exactly the same thing that Sean always says? What if Mark says the same thing that I say or that the elders get up and say? Would you be more willing to listen to Mark Roberts? I use that phrasing because obviously I think he would laugh at that too. Sometimes we uphold certain messengers higher than others, and we're willing to listen to messages from people that we deem worthy of giving us the message, and that's a problem. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that the messenger is not as important as the message in dealing with our main problems in our lives? So let's make sure we don't trip up on this, this first point. But I think the second point here is also important. It's, it's embarrassment and shame. Can you imagine what the king of the Jews here, Herod, would have had to do 
to come to everybody and say, you know what, guys? I'm in a sexually serious relationship with this woman that I shouldn't be involved in. And I need to let every single one of you guys know, all the people here in the city, that I'm sorry for doing that. Can you imagine what it would be like for a king to come with that kind of embarrassment and shame to have to open up and say, I'm so sorry. By the way, David did it. So it's not impossible. <laughs> it's not impossible. But David had to deal with that embarrassment and shame by turning from his sin. He had to come and lay it all bare so that everybody knew what was going on. Some people are unwilling to deal with that kind of embarrassment. Because, I don't know, for some reason, we, 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 we think that everyone has to be perfect all the time, or that everyone is perfect all the time. You perfect all the time? I'm not. I mean, if we just get real and honest with ourselves, we all know that we're not perfect, and we know that we have done things that we shouldn't. And so, should it come as such a shock to us when our sins are presented to us and we have to repent and we have to actually say, I was wrong? And I'm sorry because I knew better. These are challenges that we have to overcome as we hear God's challenging and confrontational message. But sometimes it's just about stubbornness and traditionalism. And of course, as we've been in our Bible classes here recently, back in Acts chapter 7, this is really the, uh, the prophet kind of sermon that if any one of, uh, of our preachers here ever came up and said the kind of language, used the kind of language that Stephen uses at the end of his sermon, do you think they would be invited back? Like seriously, do you think we had, we had, we had, uh, we had Mark Roberts come? What if at the very first day of Mark Roberts' sermon, he was giving us all this stuff, we were on board, he was giving us this history lesson like Stephen is doing here in Acts chapter seven, and then at the very end of it, as he, as he just lays the gauntlet down, Stephen then comes to us and says, you stiff-necked people, and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. What if, what if our gospel preacher that we invited to come here said that to us? Just right off the bat, first night, first night came up to us and said, you guys are stiff-necked, you won't listen. As Jesus would go on in, in Matthew 23 to say, you hypocrites. Would we have wanted, oh yeah, let's get him back next year. I really want to get poked in the eye again. No, but sometimes it's because of our stubbornness and traditionalism, and that's what Stephen is trying to address here. As your fathers did, so do you. By the way, that kind of language right there, that, that's weaponized language, right? You ever in your family, you ever heard somebody say, you're just like your father? There have been some conversations in our house that stemmed from language just like that. <laughs> you are just like your father. Ooh. You are just like your mother. And what he's saying here, really, is that they won't listen to the prophets. As he goes on to say in verse 52, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were so focused on keeping their tradition that they could not see what they had just done. And so sometimes it's that stubbornness and traditionalism that just keeps us from listening. And finally, I think for a lot of us, it's just avoiding confrontation. Y'all like confrontation, right? 
y'all woke up this morning and you're like, hey, you know what? I want to go to the Monta Vista congregation and worship so that I can get into a fight. So we're all like that, right? We all just love confrontation. We all loved, you know, if you look on social media, it appears that everybody just loves an argument. Everyone loves to fight about stuff. But I don't think most of us actually like that. And in fact, as we see the Pharisees doing, and we're going to actually camp here in Matthew 21 for a little bit, so turn to Matthew 21. There's a really powerful story here that Jesus tells to the Pharisees, the chief priests, the elders of the people in verse 23. But in verse 45, after, we're going to skip over the story here real quick. After Jesus tells them this story, the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables. They perceived he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. The chief priests and the Pharisees didn't want to listen to Jesus' message. They wanted to take Jesus captive and throw him into prison and kill him, but they wouldn't do it because they were so afraid of confrontation. They knew the people believed in Jesus. And so sometimes we don't want to listen to the message because we don't want the drama. We don't want to have to deal with the messy business of our sin, and so we're just going to move on. We're just going to pass by and hope it goes away. These are just a couple things that I, that I feel like are important catalysts for us taking important and confrontational messages and shutting our ears. There's probably more. But what can we do about it? What can we do when the authority of our choices, the authority of who we've decided we are is in question? What can we do when somebody looks at us and says to us, I'm right and you're wrong, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? Well, I think we need to develop a hearing heart. We need to develop the skill to listen. And that sounds easy, right? OK, all right, we all need to be better hearers. We all need to be better listeners. Ready, go. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a challenge. And that's a challenge Jesus was constantly trying to address throughout his ministry. That was a challenge the, the prophets were constantly trying to address throughout their work. But I think what we see is that we need to, as we talked about a little bit ago, focus on the message and not as much on the messenger. And again, as we've been studying, you might throw a thumb in Matthew 21 there as we're going to come back to it. But if, as we've been studying in the book of Acts, you got to Acts chapter 4, right? And you know how Peter... And John, they were out there, they were preaching, they were doing some amazing things early on in the, in the establishment of the church. And Peter and John were out there preaching. And what, what are the religious leaders, as they're taking them captive, as they're, as they're rejecting them, throwing them into prison, all these things that are happening, what are they, what are they as they listen to Peter and John say? I'm going to paraphrase it in our own vernacular here today. Those bunch of country bumpkins, they don't know anything about the law. Well, they were country bumpkins. I'm not going to say they weren't. They were absolutely blue-collar, hard-working people who were filled with the Spirit of God. Period. End of story. You want to reject Peter and John's message because they were not of the elite upper class? Fine, but that's on you. We need to listen to the message, more importantly than the messenger. 
And I'm just going to say that when, when our young people start to get up and they start to deliver messages from this pulpit, when you start to have deeper conversations with people who may not have as much experience, but they're, they're sharing with you their insights from the Bible, don't throw that away. Because when any of us go to God's word and pull out the truth and present it to someone, that's the spirit of the Lord right there. And it doesn't matter how young that person is, how inexperienced that person is, what their backstory is. When any of us go to the gospel and we pull out the, 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 the truth that we need to obey, receive it. And don't get so caught up on the messenger. And another thing we obvi obviously need to do is we need to soften up and listen. The, the opposite, I suppose, of what Stephen was confronting his audience with in Acts chapter 7. They were stiff-necked. They were uncircumcised in heart and ears who were just like their fathers. The opposite of that is to be soft-hearted, to be moldable, and to be willing to listen. And I know it's hard to listen. That's the point. You have to get over your ability, your willingness to snap back and give an answer and just stop and listen. What did David have a hard time doing when he heard that story of the ewe lamb? He had a hard time stopping and listening. And he jumped to a reaction. He said, these people should die. But he didn't realize what he was saying. And so we need to soften up and listen. But we also need to look for ourselves in that story. We're going to get to Matthew 21 in a second. But you notice how, you notice how David was not able to see himself in the story. What was his first reaction? It was to look at everyone else around him. It was to look at that guy over there. I'm going to fix that guy over there. He's going to get judgment. We're going to kill that guy because he's done wrong. But when it came to realizing he was the one in the story, he missed the boat completely. There's another group of people who did that. And I don't know you're in Matthew 21. So here's the payoff. Jesus, in this great parable, in Matthew 21, verse 33, after he has said a few things about uh, these parables of the two sons to the chief priests and the elders. In verse 33, he says, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower and leased it to tenants. And he went into another country. So we know the story there. There was a, a great person who decided to build this winery, and he hired people to come in and work. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took the servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Who is he talking about? The prophets. God is the one who owned the vineyard. God is the one who sent his messengers, and they killed and stoned them. And then we move on. Finally, in verse 37, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus says, what will he do to those tenants? So after getting done just talking about himself, what they were going to do to him, they missed the point completely. And they said in verse 41, 
He will put out those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyards to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. You bet he will. And you know what the Pharisees and the chief priests and the religious leaders just did. They, they pronounced their own sentence. That is what they did. That is what they should have done. The, the, that is what the master should have done, absolutely. But they didn't realize Jesus was talking about them. And he says in verse 42, he questions their, their knowledge. He says, have you never read in the scriptures? Now that seems like a small phrase, but he's telling that to a bunch of people who know the scriptures. Have you never read? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. And then they realized, oh, he was talking about us. Oops. And this is what happens when we don't see ourselves in the story. When our first reaction is to look to everyone else around us rather than looking to ourselves. When we, when we say, you know what? Brother so-and-so over there on the other pew, he needs to really hear this lesson because he's got some work to do rather than looking at yourself. That's the problem. Because we need to look for ourselves in the story first. Not to say that someone else could not benefit from a lesson, but if we have not put ourselves in the story and said, what can I learn from this? Does this apply to me? Am I that person? Have I made a mistake? Do I need correction? And if that's the reaction that we have first, we're going to get it. Why do you think Jesus taught in parables the way, to, the way that he did? Because he was making people work for it. He was making people and challenging people's hearing so that they'd have to work for it. And finally, I think we need to bear fruit and be useful to Christ. And that's actually what he goes on in this story to say. I'm gonna, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. If we don't want to listen, the kingdom will be taken from us. But if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to hear, willing to change, willing to be moldable and listen to the, to the confrontational, challenging message of the Lord, we're going to be bearing fruit. We're going, to, we're going to let our faith be seen in our life and it's going to be evident that we love God. And no matter what he says, we're going to do it. We know and we're going to challenge our own preconceived ideas. We're going to throw them out the window when they don't line up with God's message and we're going to change. Would you be willing to commit to that? Are you willing to open your ears and receive the message and change? That's the challenge. Because for so many people in the history of the children of Israel, for so many people in the early church, not listening was the problem. Closing your ears, thinking things are fine, and convincing yourself you're right are going to make you feel good for a while. But eventually, all the facade, all the stories you've told yourself, all the things you've convinced yourself are going to fall away, and you're going to bow before the Father someday, whether you ever have or not. So my encouragement for all of us is just to think about how we hear. 
Think about how you receive the message of God. Think about what happens when a brother or sister comes to you and challenges you, lovingly challenges you, lovingly steps on your toes. Says you need to change. You need to think seriously. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And I'm not going to step on your toes right now, but if you know that your toes have been stepped on this morning, if you realize that you are in a wrong relationship with the Lord, separated from him, not a part of the kingdom, not a part of his family, if you've been closing your ears for too long, please open them up. Please listen to the message. Receive it. Let it change you. And begin to bear fruit after repenting of your sins, confessing his great name, and being baptized for the remission of those sins. If we can help you in any way this morning, please come as we stand and sing. Oh,